Hello everyone, I'm Matt. I'm one of the business relationship managers at Aquilaw. Today I'm here with uh, Lucy Batten, one of our solicitors, uh, recording our first podcast. Um, today's topic is uh, about incapacity. So Lucy, my client um, has a power of attorney. What should I do? Hi Matt. So uh, if your client has a power of attorney in place, uh, firstly note that we can't use the power of attorney document for convenience. So we would only proceed under a power of attorney if the client has lost mental or physical capacity. Okay, interesting. So how do I know whether my client has lost capacity? Well, firstly, look at the document that you have, if you have seen a copy of it. If the power of attorney document is an enduring power of attorney, sometimes called an EPA, the donor, who is the client, has lost capacity at the time that the power is registered. And so we proceed with the EPA without any further evidence regarding capacity. If the power of attorney document is a lasting power of attorney, an LPA, then we will need a letter from the GP or consultant confirming that the client does not have sufficient mental capacity to enter into the transaction. So to be clear, this isn't a capacity assessment, but rather a comment by the medical practitioner based on their current knowledge of the patient from their diagnosis or treatment or the files. Okay, so you mentioned capacity assessment there. Um, when, when may that be required? So we would use a capacity assessment if we are in doubt as to whether the client has actually lost capacity. So for example, if there are differing medical opinions or if the prognosis is unclear, or perhaps if the doctor will not provide confirmation either way as to whether the client has lost capacity, or if there are any other reasons to query whether the use of the power of attorney is appropriate and necessary. Okay, so I have a client um, and I feel they don't have capacity. What shall I do next? Well, the first thing, Matt, is we always have to proceed on the basis that capacity is presumed, unless we have a reason to suggest otherwise. So if you think that your client doesn't have capacity, what we'll need to do straight away is check the power of attorney document and verify it to make sure that there'll be no issues with proceeding. At this point, a copy of the LPA or an EPA will suffice, but please do make it clear that we are using a power of attorney when you instruct us so that we know and we don't try and communicate with the client. And please also provide us with the attorney contact details, as I say, so that we're contacting them and not the client. So what about the original power of attorney? Will you need that as part of the process? Yes, we have to give a legally binding promise to the lender's solicitors that we hold the original document at the time that we complete the equity release. And this is because the land registry can raise requisitions requesting to see the original document. So we will need to be holding the original document before we can set completion, although we can proceed in the first instance on a copy. Okay, and the original power of attorney, that will be sent back to, to the attorneys at the end of the process? Yes, as soon as we receive it, we'll take a certified copy and we can provide the certified copy to the client if they'll need it while the transaction is progressing. But when the equity release mortgage has been registered on the property title, will then return the original power of attorney document to the client and the attorney. You mentioned the lender's solicitor's requirements. Um, will they have any additional requirements with a power of attorney case? So we need to look at the use of funds being released um, under cover of the equity release. Uh, the use of funds will need to be for the welfare and benefit of the client or for the care of the client. So different lenders have different criteria but generally we need to ensure that the use of funds is to benefit the client or for the care of the client. What happens if the attorneys actually use their own money to pay for care costs? Are they allowed to reimburse themselves? 
Yes, they can, because ultimately the equity release proceeds are being used for the care of the client, even if that care has already been paid for. But to satisfy ourselves of that, we would need to see evidence of the initial spend by the attorney on the care costs. So ultimately, when we're looking at the use of funds, uh, it's really useful to warn the attorney that we will be requesting evidence to verify that use of funds. Okay. What happens where the funds aren't for care or clear welfare or benefit? What happens then? So we have had some cases where we've been able to obtain consent from the lender in writing to the use of that money, even if it isn't clearly or obviously for welfare and benefit or care. So an example of that is um, we had an instruction from a client and his wife had lost capacity and it was a joint application and we had an attorney acting for the wife who had lost capacity. They wanted to use the equity release money to buy a caravan so that they could spend some time by the sea together. So that was questionable as to whether it was for her welfare and benefits, but the lender provided a consent to use the funds for that purpose, and then we proceeded on the basis of that consent. So, um, signing appointment. I'm assuming the clients and attorneys will need a signing appointment as, uh, as per a normal equity release case. What happens there? Is there anything different? So if the client has lost mental capacity, the attorney will sign the documents in their place and they'll need to therefore have their identity verified. If the client has lost physical capacity, both the attorney and the client will need to engage with the solicitor at the signing appointment and confirm that they understand the mortgage, although of course the attorney will need to be identified and to sign the actual documents. In both instances, the client will still need to evidence their identity even though they don't have capacity. Okay, so I can see how that's quite different to a, to a normal meeting. How about timescales? I'm assuming the power of attorney application will take a lot longer than a normal case? Well, not necessarily. We complete a large number of these cases regularly. There shouldn't really be any problems so long as we can satisfy all of the requirements and deal with them on a timely basis. It's therefore really helpful to us in progressing the case quickly if the attorney is prepared and well advised as to what information they'll need to provide to us. Great. Now, I have heard of Court of Protection granting orders for uh, deputy ships. H how does that work and what does that look like? So the requirements are largely similar. However, note that any order from the Court of Protection will need to specifically confirm that the power can be used for an equity release. Usually there's a separate order confirming this. Um, what about the sort of murky situation where um, a client does have capacity but simply needs help with paperwork? Can a power attorney be involved then? So, as I mentioned, we don't use a power of attorney for convenience. They'll only be used where the client has lost capacity. But it's entirely understandable that some of our clients need help with the paperwork. There can be a lot for them to deal with. So, in those circumstances, we're happy to liaise with a family member as a third party, so long as the client has signed our written authority form. The key issue to consider here is our code of practice, which requires us to observe our client's confidentiality. So we will need express written permission to liaise with the third party. Note as well that we can actually ask the client to provide information as to how much they want the third party to be involved. So the client has the power to limit that as well if they only want help in certain stages of the case. Great. Thanks for your time to, uh, today, Lucy. Really, really interesting points. Just to summarise then, um, we will need the original power of attorney before co uh, completion. Secondly, that funds can only be used for care and welfare of the incapacitated individual. Thirdly, that we will need proof of incapacity, so more than likely a letter from a medical practitioner. 
And lastly, and probably more importantly, a well-prepared attorney shouldn't lead to any delays in terms of timeframes. Yep, sounds to me like you've got it, Matt. Great. Well, if you found that useful out there, listeners, don't forget to check out our other podcasts that are available in the series. They're all available now.